The evil of corruption reaches into every corner of the world. Corruption lies at the heart of the most urgent problems we face. Welcome to Confidential Brief, where Chad Thomas takes you into the stories behind the issues facing our society. Welcome to Confidential Brief. My name is Chad Thomas. Past the 10 past 12 mark on this, the 3rd of August, 2020. I would love to say how many days we've been in lockdown and how many weeks and months it's been. But every day just seems to somehow morph into the next. And one doesn't quite realize what day it is or what week it is anymore. It's the new normal. It's quite bizarre. It's quite strange. But it's very necessary if we want to survive this pandemic. With it being so overwhelming, we, of course, have set up a helpline at HiFM. It's manned by 22 trained counselors, and it's available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If you're feeling lonely, if you're feeling anxious, and I feel anxious a lot, if you're feeling down or depressed, feel free to call the hotline. It's it's totally anonymous. It's toll-free. It's 0800-242436. That number again is 0800-242436. Um, also, what's quite unique is that you can request a phone in. So once you've made contact with our helpline, if you want to have a daily check-in just to see how you're doing, feel free to ask the operators to do so. Joining me in a few minutes is Brian Adams, the architect of ethics, or the ethics architect. He was a pioneer member of the Ethics Practitioners Association of South Africa, and we're going to be chatting all about the business of ethics in South Africa. I'd like to remind you the views expressed on the show, not necessarily those of HiFM. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. You're listening to a live broadcast of Confidential Brief right here on High FM 101.9 FM in Johannesburg, streaming worldwide on the High FM app and on the High FM website. My guest today is Brian Adams. He is the ethics architect and uh, quite an interesting bio. He has a B.E.Con degree from the University of Stellenbosch, and he's a graduate of the South African Army Command and Staff Course. We're definitely going to come back to that in the conversation. He's a certified ethics officer and a pioneer member of the Ethics Practitioners Association and started anonymous reporting services in South Africa 20 years ago in 2000. He's known as the ethics architect and is passionate about assisting clients to build ethical businesses and defeat the concerted attack of workplace crime. He, he achieves this through his innovative reporting services called Be Heard and through his unique ethics surveys, consulting and training. Because new businesses are like sea turtles, only about five of them survive. That's quite scary. He's passionate to see more companies succeed and grow to maturity and become sustainable and profitable. I really enjoy reading my guest bias. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chad. Great to be with you. Brian, I have to ask you this. The South African Army Command and Staff Course, does that mean you're a permanent force member and you got your chili tabs? Yeah, no, I was uh, for more than 20 years. I left in 1992 to go into the corporate environment. I was very fortunate to be given an opportunity to uh, uh, to leave at that time, which was probably a good time to leave uh, when things were becoming very uncertain. And uh, a big corporate in KZN offered me a senior position. And uh, ever since then, I've been um, in the corporate space. So what was your last posting in the military? I was a full colonel. Uh, I was uh, officer commanding Group 10 in KZN. Uh, we were responsible for the whole area from the Transcar border up to the Tugela River and halfway to Maritzburg. So all the all the township unrest actually was under my control. 
I remember Group 10 well. We operated from Group 42, which is in Lens, and Group 18, which was in Durham Corp. Uh, we were part of a command pro unit, but we had case standard throughout the country. So it's always nice to chat to an ex-PF member of the military, and I know how difficult that staff officer course is to get those chili tabs. So it's, it's quite an achievement. Not many lieutenant colonels in the military go on to complete their staff course. So well done on that. Thanks very much, Chad. Yeah, we were majors. There were, it was an interesting time. There were quite a few younger guys that, uh, that came through at that time. And, uh, um, yeah, no, it was an 11 month course and it's, it's, uh, commonly known as the MBA of the military. So, uh, it was a very, very uh, professional course that we were very fortunate to be, to go through for 11 months. And your degree is from Stellenbosch, and that's where the BMO is underwritten by, that the guys do at Saldana through the Military Academy. So you were perfectly suited for this, obviously. No, well, actually, I didn't go to the academy. My dad and I made an arrangement that uh, uh, he didn't want me to join the Army until I had a degree. So we agreed that I would go and do my degree first at Stellenbosch, and then I could join PF after that, which I did. Well, that's a great background. Um, the, the amazing thing about that particular course that you did in the military, and that's the reason I'm speaking about it on air today, is, as you said, it's the MBA of the military. What people don't realize out there, those that haven't served or haven't been in the permanent force, is that it's its own world. It has everything. It has its own police service. It has its own judicial service. and even has its own shop, Sabi, where people can go shop. So when you do the staff course, you're basically learning every aspect of the running of, of, of the military. And the military is a dynamic, massive organization. And to take that into, into the civilian sector is an accomplishment. And so much is learned on that course that can be applied in the, in, in, in the civilian uh, perspective. Absolutely. You, know, you spot on there, Chad. Absolutely right. Well, we, we're talking about ethics today, and we're talking specifically about why it's so important. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to get straight into the business of what the ethics architect does. We'll be back straight after this. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Today we're chatting to the ethics architect, Mr. Brian Adams, or should I say Colonel Brian Adams, um, regarding the very important topic of, of ethics and governance in the workplace. Before we get to that, um, in 1996, just after Brian had started his own business, he wrote a very popular book called Of Course You Can, which aimed to share the lessons that he had learned on his own, sometimes bumpy journey into the private sector. Tell me a little bit about that journey. Um, 92, you leave the military, you go into the private sector. 96, you decide to, to go out on your own. What happened? I had a, an opportunity to buy out the internal security, com- security company from the, the corporate that I was working for. So it was one of the first BEE ventures in South Africa. A couple of my uh, black and Indian colleagues and uh, two other white guys were able to establish a company called Legend Security, um, which did very well in KZN. We eventually had a, about a 1,000 uh, employees. And we did all the golf courses and um, the Lelouchia Ridge Office Park um, uh, and all that. And at the same time, um, I had the idea, I woke up one morning and I had the idea that I needed to start a an anonymous outsourcing, uh, an outsourced anonymous whistleblowing service because some of my clients really needed it and there was nothing going on at the time. So we went into a joint venture with a major uh, auditing firm. And uh, that company is still the 
the biggest whistleblowing service in South Africa. Then we, a couple of years later, we uh, split up and we established our own called Be Heard. And uh, all the time we were busy building businesses, setting them on, uh, you know, joining up. We had a forensic business. We had uh, a farm security business called AgriOps. Uh, and eventually um, I realized that I needed to start focusing on one aspect of my uh, activities, and that was really the Be Heard side. And as the Be Heard side um, grew, I suddenly realized that when we started it, we were actually functioning in the forensic space, but that things had changed, and I wanted to move it out of the forensic space into the ethics space. So uh, the forensic space is very much more, let's catch the crooks, let's uh, arrest the bad guys, whereas the forensic space, as I like to call it, uh, was out to create a, a positive and a uh, an ethos in the organization based on integrity. So I qualified as a, as a certified ethics officer. And while I was doing that, I, uh, I suddenly realized that there was a, a huge amount of synergy between what I was doing in that space and what was happening in the ethics space. So just to go back to your original question, it was actually five years ago that I wrote that book because uh, a friend of mine said to me, why don't I come and talk to his group of mates about uh, entrepreneurship and businesses because I'd obviously had a lot of experience over the past 20-odd years. And uh, so that started with doing uh, half-day workshops for these guys. And eventually one of the chaps said to me, look, uh, won't you uh, give me some of your notes? And then another guy said, well, why don't you just write the book? So I wrote the book called Of Course You Can, and uh, it's actually a passion for me. It's not my day job. I'm just about to release the third edition, which is almost a complete rewrite. But you see, I, I've, I've sort of like boiled my life down to two major priorities. And I think those are the priorities that are going to change South Africa. The one is uh, building an ethical, ethical society. And the other one is uh, really reinforcing small and medium businesses so that they become sustainable and that they can create jobs. Because if we don't have job creation and we don't fix the the rot in our society with respect to ethics, we, we headed down the tubes. So when, when we raise children and we go to school and some people may be religious and go to their place of worship, morals and ethics are something that we expect to be instilled in an individual. But when it comes to business, we see some of these ethics flying out the window. What, what do we mean when we talk about ethics in the workplace? Well, that's a really cool question, uh, Chad. You know, I... Um, about 30 years ago, my wife and I went to uh, to Europe for the first time together, and um, I had to because of on my bucket list was to go to the D-Day D-Day beaches, and uh, she didn't get out of the car because it was drizzling that morning, and it was about three or four days after the that particular anniversary of the of the landings, and when I got back into the car, she said to me, "Okay, I've been looking through this book, the the uh, the guidebook." And um, the Michelin guidebook, and she said there's a little village here called Bayeux, which is about eight k's away from the coast. So off we toddled, and we came to this little beautiful little village. And in the village is a museum, which is like the size of a sort of a church hall or a, uh, you know what I'm talking about, that sort of size building. And inside it is this magnificent tapestry called the Bayeux tapestry. It's actually uh, about 70 meters long by about half a meter high. And it's stitched by about 120 women. It took them about three years to do it. And it depicts the landing of the Normans in southern England 
uh, in 1066, the, the Battle of Hastings and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, to cut a long story short, I was absolutely blown away by this this thing, which is about a thousand years old now. And when I looked at the 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 front of the the tapestry, uh, which is actually not a tapestry at all, it's actually an embroidery. It looks as if it's been done by one person. It's the it's like the brand, the reputation, the the picture, everything you can imagine about an organization. It looks as if it's been done by one person. But if you look at the back, you can see that there, there are different styles of stitching. So you can see it wasn't one person that did it. It was, in fact, 120 women uh, that actually did the embroidery. And the lesson from that, which I've taken into my into my life as a as an ethics practitioner, is that ethics is a is a set of values and beliefs that have to be woven into the fabric of every organization and embraced by everybody in that organization from the top to the bottom. You see, ethics is not something which you can you can uh, write a policy and procedure about and put in a, in a filing cabinet somewhere. It's got to be a living part of the DNA of an organization. You know, a lot of places that I go to, uh, I, I, I get shown into the ethics officer, and he's quite often a, a middle-level guy who's been given the unenviable task uh, by the CEO or by the board to try and build an ethics structure. And I say to the guys, look, I, this is very awkward because ethics is not – a department or a project that is managed by some external consultant. It's got to be part of the, absolutely part of the DNA of that organization. So I'm building up enough courage to say to the next CEO that says to me, can you do ethics for us? Because it's like me saying, well, can you shower for me? Because it's a personal thing. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't ask somebody to shower for me. Sure, you can pass them a towel or you can pass them the shampoo. You can, you can help them with the showering. And if you really like that person, maybe you'll jump into the shower with them. That's a joke, by the way. But the, the bottom line is that ethics is not something that can be done by somebody outside the organization. And that's why I called myself the ethics architect because the, the architect actually talks to the clients and then builds a structure, helps them build a structure. Uh, which eventually becomes their, their dream organization. And that's where it comes in, is that I'm a, sort of a catalyst, if you like, a facilitator to help an organization using all the, the experience that I've had and all the skin skills that I have to put that together like an architect does so that eventually they have their dream structure. So in a, in, you know, in a long way around, uh, Chad, that's the answer to your question. Well, I like the tapestry analogy, and um, I think it's very important that uh, during the conversation, we're going to cover things like whistleblowing, governance, kings, and anything to do with the Protected Disclosures Act. But we have reached the halfway mark of the show, so we're going to take a quick break. And we'll be back with Brian Adams, the ethics architect, shortly thereafter. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Today I'm chatting to Brian Adams. He is the ethics architect, and we're talking about the importance of ethics within a workplace, but also about the importance of reporting things that may be of a nefarious, adverse, unjust nature. Perhaps something that somebody feels uncomfortable talking about, they'd be more comfortable talking about it via an anonymous reporting function. Now, Brian, this is very controversial in South Africa. We come from the apartheid era where if people spoke out about others, they were labeled as Impimpi and horrific things happen to these people. And this culture of Impimpi and not wanting to speak out 
seems to have manifested itself in South Africa. And the only time you seem to have people talking out is if somebody's been done bad in a deal, if a wife has left the husband, or if somebody wants to do damage to another. How do we change the perception of whistleblowing? Yeah, I think you spot on there. I think, you know, as I said earlier, initially when whistleblowing started, it was very much um, catch the crook, split on your mate kind of thing, um, you know, behind the scenes, underground, anonymous, stab in the back, that kind of thing. And I think over the last 20 years, the perception of that has changed quite a lot. I mean, I would say that most of the calls we get now are very constructive calls, if you like. In other words, people are reporting because they see it as part of the whole, the team, that it's all about the the family. It's all about the, the business being an organization where we share values, where there's trust, where there's open communication, where there's, uh, you know, everybody uh, moving in the same direction towards the achievement of the same objectives. But you're absolutely spot on. In the in the beginning, one of the the big problems I had is, was trying to determine what are the critical success factors for a, a, a reporting service being successful. And I used to have sleepless nights because some of my clients used to get no reports at all, and others used to get a fantastic flow of reports consistently. And um, I don't know if you want me to talk talk about that now. If you're going to ask me some more questions, but that's when the whole idea of the of the Ethics Pizza came about because I suddenly realized that there were, there were eight critical success factors which absolutely determined whether an organization was going to have a successful reporting service or not. Well, let's talk about the Ethics Pizza. I saw it in one of your presentations and it's quite fascinating. So let's tackle it slice by slice. Yeah, thanks, Ted. You know, really it happened as, you know, as they say in the classics when I actually scribbled something down on a, on a, a serviette in, a, in the mug and bean in Irene Village Mall. I'd just been to one of my clients who was an absolute winner of a client in the sense that they were doing absolutely everything right. They were in, in Rosebank and I was traveling from Rosebank to see my next client in Pretoria and I stopped off to have a nibble and a cup of coffee. And while I was sitting there, I was actually puzzling about why these guys were so successful. So I took out the serviette and I started scribbling and eventually I came I, I drew this sort of life wheel model, which is used for a whole lot of other things. And I started writing down the, the critical success factors, which this company that was doing things right, which they uh, displayed. And eventually, uh, I started scribbling around and moving things around. And eventually, this little model called the Ethics Pizza came. And you know the reason why I've called it the Ethics Pizza and trademarked it? Because believe it or not, even in our industry, uh, people seem to uh, want to take, stuff which doesn't belong to them, but that's another story. So if you start at, if you imagine a, a pizza with eight slices and you start um, at, uh, at 12 o'clock and start moving around clockwise, the first and most important one in the, uh, on the right-hand top corner is desire and intent. That's where top management absolutely has to set out where what they're doing, what their journey is, what their mission is, what their values are. They've got to write their code of uh, ethics. They've got to write their code of conduct. They've got to set it in stone and say, guys, we as the top management team of this organization, this is what we stand for. You know, the biggest problem we have is this, what we call the credibility gap. And I'm sure you've experienced it with your clients as well, where there's all this stuff written on the walls of reception and in the boardrooms and everything. And within an hour of being with those guys, you suddenly realize that what they're talking about and what they're actually doing are as far away as the north is from the south. 
So design intent is absolutely critical. And then its twin brother, if you like, is leadership, where design intent is actually setting up the 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 pillars or the foundation, if you like, of the the structure. Uh, the leadership is the ongoing example that the leaders of that organization set by their own personal example, by what they say, by how they communicate, by, by how they, they, they live out every second of their life. And, and that is absolutely fundamental. So you've got the design intent married to leadership, which are really the two most important things at the start of a business. As so I mentioned... Brian. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Before, before you carry on, I, I want to ask you this. We talk about corporate government, governance. We talk about um, having um, ethics within the workplace and specifically in the corporate sector. But when one looks at the, the elephant in the room, which is something like state capture, for example, or mass corruption, we see there's a symbiotic relationship between the public and private sector to defraud the public purse, to take the taxpayer's money. So we out there teaching corporates what they should be doing what's happening to the public sector are they also following this system are they also part of what we deem to be good corporate governance do they also fall under kings so what about the public sector how do they fit into all of this well the you know the the the, the public finance management act and the municipal finance management act all those things are in place they're beautifully written, but I don't know what happens to them because uh, there just doesn't seem to be – once again, I'm using the word the credibility gap because all the policies and procedures are in place, but there's this massive gap between what, what's actually written and what's said and what actually happens. You know, one of the biggest uh, frustrations for me is when I do my workshops uh, with middle-level management, particularly of the public sector – they poor, the poor guys are pulling their hair out because they, they are gung ho. They come to the workshops. They, their eyes are all uh, bright and shiny. They leave there, uh, very excited about, you know, planting these seeds of, of ethical management in their structures. But most of them come back to me afterwards or sometime later and say it was useless because they, they, they take all these decisions and make all the recommendations based on best practice. But the politicians above them, just squash the, the, uh, the correct way of doing things. So they might so, make a recommendation regarding a tender, and then the, the, the politician just says, no, 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 it doesn't work like that here. That other person is getting the tender. So, Brian, this, this brings me to the next question before we, we have our break, which is coming up shortly. If the public sector has a corrupt individual that goes to the corporate sector and says, you're getting this tender, then it proves that there's a symbiotic corrupt relationship. It means the ethics are out the window for both of those organizations. How do we instill those ethics into the private sector so that they can they can then show the public sector that they're not prepared to do business unless it's done on an ethical basis? Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to swing straight around to the last slice of the pizza, which is consequence management. You know as well as I do that the the whole criminal justice system is completely destroyed. I mean, it's on its last legs. I, you know, I don't, if it's still breathing, then it's on life support because uh, I call it structural impunity. It means that there are no consequences. People are doing stuff because they realize that no matter what they do, they're going to be absolutely no consequences. Their partners in the public sector are going to cover for them. They're going to provide top cover for them. So as long as we have a situation where from the police to the prosecution authority to the, the courts – to the correctional uh, 
services department. All four of those things are, are, are wobbly and wonky. They're not working properly. So everybody's saying, well, you know, I wouldn't normally have done this. I don't believe in doing this kind of thing. But here this, the, the goal line is lying ahead of me. There's nobody in my way. I can go and score a goal and nothing will ever happen to me. And this is where the problem comes in, that there are absolutely no consequences at all for anybody that commits a serious crime. You know, the, the, somebody Ryan, said... You actually, the, sorry, you actually hit the nail on the head there. It, it all comes down to consequences. We're going to take a quick ad break. When we come back, it's going to be our final few minutes. I want you to talk about the importance of organizations having an ethics plan in place, having that statement of, of intent in place, and how it can help towards changing the perception of a corrupt public sector as well as a corrupt private sector. We'll be back after this. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. We're having a fascinating chat with uh, Brian Adams, who is the ethics architect. And in closing, Brian's going to be explaining to us the importance of a company having an ethics um, policy as well as an ethics statement in place and what that will entail. Have you thought about it during the break? I think what is absolutely fundamentally important is for the desire and intent box to be ticked. You know, if it's management of an organization, whether it's a, a big corporate or a small uh, one-man band or a small family business, I've got to take a decision that they are going to behave ethically and with integrity. If, you know, an ethical South Africa, as my little slogan is, an ethical South Africa starts with me. If each one of us take a decision and, and draw a line in the sand and say we are not going to be involved or get involved or become involved with any nefarious activities, the country will change tomorrow. But, of course, that's pie in the sky. So what I'm very happy about is that a lot of my big clients, especially my big clients, have taken it upon themselves to apply this pizza thing in their organization. They've gone through the steps. They've put all these things in place. And the the, the other things are things like uh, continuous awareness, appointing a champion, having open communications and encouraging open and honest communications, building trust. And then the final one, as I said earlier, is consequence management. And the way we measure this in organizations is I've developed a number of surveys. And I'm going to tell you a beautiful story in a second after I've talked about this, where we survey all the employees in an organization and we plot the score for each of the slices of the pizza on the pizza. So if you can imagine putting a score where in the middle it is zero and on the outside of the pizza is 10 and you put a score between zero and 10 somewhere on, along that slice, um, de- depending on how well they score in each of these critical success factors. You then join the dots and you have this little figure that stands out uh, superimposed, if you like, over the pizza, which we call the ethics profile. Then you take that ethics profile and you say, where are we doing well, where are we doing badly, and you apply that in your organization by correcting things, by improving on your strong points, building out. It's like the old SWOT analysis on steroids, if you like, where you, you, you're taking the weaknesses and correcting them and you're taking your strengths and you're building on them. But one of my clients the other day, uh, I'm so proud of these guys. The MD said to me, look, I'm so committed to building an ethical business that I want you to do a similar survey on all my subcontractors. They're a huge property business in Gauteng. So we surveyed the the, the 80-odd subcontractors, and the result was absolutely mind-boggling because it showed quite clearly through the results of the survey, which weren't 
which were absolutely anonymous, of course, and which were uh, uh, not uh, compulsory, obviously. And it showed that the the subcontractors viewed the staff that they were interacting with with this organization with the greatest amount of respect. So now the MD can sit back and he can say, well, I've ticked that box. I've built my relationship with one of my uh, most important groups in my in my value chain. The next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to look at my suppliers. And that's what we're going to be doing when, when COVID has died down. We're going to start surveying the suppliers because, you see, he's interested in building this model with everybody that's in his value chain to make sure well, that everybody it does make sense. speaking out of the same chapter. Well, it makes perfect sense that uh, your agents, your proxies, your subcontractors are an extension of yourself. It's like companies that uh, are BEE and AA, they want the companies that they employ to be exactly the same. It's a reflection of them. So in essence, what we've, what we've learned very briefly today is that for us to, to combat fraud, corruption, and state capture in this country, we need to understand it's not just the public sector, but it's also the private sector that have to play their bits. And that starts with accountability, it starts with integrity, and most importantly, ethics, and the consequences of not abiding by that. So in closing, how do our, our listeners get in touch with you um, to discuss the, the pizza concept and to discuss ethics in their workplace? Yeah, they can go to my website, which is uh, www.the ethicsarchitect.com or they can email me at brian at theethicsarchitect.com I've got a free uh, one hour webinar coming up this week so if you email me at brian at theethicsarchitect.com you can get hold of me and I'll give you the details where I'll be explaining uh, much more about the the pizza in a lot more detail just finally from me uh, Chad uh, the most important thing that I stress with all my clients is what we call the new ROI, which is not a return on investment. It's a return on integrity because I believe, as do quite a lot of my colleagues, that the biggest differentiator in business is integrity. People are going to buy from companies that they share values with, and those are the kind of things that I'm going to be talking about in my webinar on uh, on, on Thursday afternoon. And if anybody's keen, they can just give me a shout, and we'll send them the meeting details. I think the webinar is a great start because there wasn't as much that we could cover in this hour, especially with breaks, etc. But I think it's very important that people start looking to themselves and their own companies. It's very quick to point fingers when it comes to the public sector, but nobody's taking responsibility for the private sector. And the public sector cannot act um, in a corrupt manner without the assistance of the private sector. This is something Absolutely. that people need to realize. So Absolutely. this webinar is very important. For you guys that are interested in signing up to the webinar, visit theethicsarchitect.com. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. I look forward to having another conversation because there's so much more that we can discuss on this very interesting and important topic. Thank you, Chad. Thanks very much indeed. We were chatting to Brian Adams. He is the ethics architect, and you can find out more about his upcoming webinar, which is on this coming Thursday afternoon, um, by visiting theethicsarchitect.com. Thank you so much for tuning in today. My name is Chad Thomas. You'll be listening to Confidential Brief. If you enjoyed the show, the podcast will be uploaded to the HiFM website within the next 24 hours. This has been a live broadcast during COVID remotely, so we apologize for any glitches. And, of course, there are repeats of the show during the week. Stay safe. Stay COVID-free, and we'll be here same time, same place next week.